the introduction earlier on to talk of, of monsters and beasts and, uh, and battles. But it's all about Jesus. Where on earth are we spending time in the scriptures this week? Well, uh, this week and for uh, several weeks and over the past few months, we've been uh, looking at the book of Revelation when I've been preaching. Interestingly, when, when Mark, the other elder of the church who's in Canada this weekend, when he's been preaching, he's been preaching from the first book of the Bible, and I've been uh, at Genesis, and I've been preaching from the last book of the Bible. Uh, so, thumbs up, it's easy to find. Um, so, if you have a Bible, would you like to be turning to Revelation chapter 19? And if you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, but would like to uh, follow in one, just raise a hand, and one will be brought to you. Uh, you can also uh, read the scriptures on the, on the screen. They'll come up on the, uh, on the screen there too. So if you've raised a hand and you haven't yet received a Bible, just keep it up for a little bit longer. There's one hand right down at the front actually. So um, maybe you could bring, bring one down to this side here. We're going to read the first part of Revelation chapter 19 together. Here we go. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And for today, we will stop there. Sometimes in previous weeks, we have looked at a whole two chapters at once. And uh, if I can use this term, home in, we're going to home in on just half a chapter there. A a section that might be uh, entitled in in your Bible, Hallelujah! Because the word hallelujah appears so many times in it. Now let me tell you, seven years, seven months, and four days ago, precisely, I wasn't standing here, I was standing around here somewhere. Seven, seven months, seven years, seven months, and four days. Worked it out, almost perfect. It could have been three sevens, that couldn't it? But I was stood down here, and um, I was excited. I was also tremendously nervous and even though I was wearing a pink tie I thought I looked pretty good um, and um, it was wonderful lots of people were around and there's lots of people mingling and talking but as a certain time uh, drew near 
conversation became much more hushed. A little bit of nervous tension in the room. And I'm thinking, is this really, is this really happening? Is this really about to happen? And then the music started up, I'll never forget it. The theme tune to Anne of Green Gables through the PA. <laughs> and then the doors opened. And I saw through the doors and coming into the room, my bride. Uh, Rachel Timms came down the aisle and we nervously stood there. We said all the right words. We giggled a little bit and uh, said I do. And she became Rachel Mayton. A wonderful day. Life has never been the same since in all the right ways. I now know, I've now watched the entire box set of Anna Green Gables. I now know about someone else called Kath Kidston. I don't know if anyone else has come across her. It took marriage to introduce me to floral patterns. Um, but also, uh, Rachel has uh, its never been the same for her either. So she's learned a little bit about Formula One. She can have quite a reasonably in-depth conversation with you um, about Lewis Ham- Hamilton and the wisdom of his move to the Mercedes team uh, this season. So life has never been the same since. A wonderful day uh, for the two of us. This passage here in Revelation 19 gives us insights, shows us an even much hugely greater and awesome, joyful, extravagant celebration that there will be. Any wedding or marriage is just a tiny uh, foreshadowing of an amazing, glorious, heavenly wedding full of uh, celebration, party atmosphere that is coming when Jesus returns again. We see the wedding supper of the Lamb and we have here a scene of heavenly worship. It can sound slightly strange initially at the beginning of the chapter, a celebration actually that evil has ended, injustice has uh, ended. Uh, it can sound a bit strange to our ears, but as it goes on, we, we find more details about what's, um, what's happening at the end of time. And so we have that word, hallelujah. This is the only chapter in the New Testament where you will find it. Uh, in the Old Testament, quite a lot, where it tends to be translated, praise the Lord, or, praise God, in lots of the Psalms. We have it here for us. And so it is appropriate. It's biblical. Every now and again, when we get excited to shout out the word hallelujah, um, to praise our wonderful God. We, the church, are pictured here as the bride of Christ. We together, all those throughout time, throughout history, who have repented and put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of all of their sins, believing that he rose again uh, from the grave after he died. He rose again to new life so that we might have a new life. For everyone throughout time who's confessed that he is Lord, uh, we together are part of the, the bride, the bride of Christ. And as things stand at the moment, it's like, it's as though... The church is engaged to be married. It's exciting. There's a a new relationship of love and affection that that has really already been 
formed, but it's yet to be completely consummated. So all this eager excitement for God's people, looking forward to, as a church, as the bride, our big day, which will arrive when Jesus returns to take us to heaven, whenever that will be. So it's exciting. It's wonderful. We're already in a a loving and wonderful relationship with Christ, and there's so much more to look forward to. This is not a shotgun wedding or a marriage of convenience. It's a wonderful wedding, the wedding supper of the Lamb we have to look forward to. Before that wedding feast arrives, before that big day comes, as with any wedding here on the earth, there are some preparations to be made. Me and Rachel are meeting with a a couple who are due to be married not too long, and they are in in the position of making preparations. And and the bride-to-be, out from her bag, came this huge ring binder. Absolutely massive. Uh, with all these different sections in it. So there was section for, I don't know, uh, uh, food and, uh, and decorations and uh, the rings. And then there was a whole section, of course, on the dress. Okay, the, the honeymoon, all the rest of it. It was, it was all there. It was this absolute picture of organization. Because that couple are making preparations. They're getting ready for the big day. It's exciting. There's loads of things that are going to be needed to coordinate for that time. So preparations are being made. That's what we're going to look at a little bit here today. First of all, we're going to look at, well, we're going to look overall at the the preparations that are, uh, are being made for this big day for this bride here that we see in Revelation 19. And first of all, we're going to ask this question. What has the bride been doing? The bride is needing to make some preparations. We see that in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So right now, as we think about it, the bride, God's people, are uh, we are needing to make preparations. The bride of Christ is not lazy. She's not twiddling her thumbs. There are plans, and she's giving herself to preparing herself. It's the same for the church. I already referred to it. For us, preparing ourselves for that great and glorious day begins with one first very important step. The step of, for the very first time, repenting and putting our faith into Jesus. So actually, as we were singing just a moment ago, actually, I'm standing, I'm surrendering my life, Lord, to you. Uh, I see what Jesus has done for me. I actually see my own sin and my need to turn away from that completely and trust in you. And so I'm taking that very important first step. Obviously, that first step is followed by other steps as we, as we seek to grow in our relationship with God. And so we have already taken that first step of repentance, but there are other occasions where, as the bride of Christ, we take further steps to do what? Well, to prepare ourselves, to get ready, to, to, um, to become the pure pride that we are destined to be. And what that means is the church right now has other steps to take where she, where we, ruthlessly deal with our own sin. We 
continue on that path of turning away from anything that could distract our attention, our focus, or our affection from Jesus. So we're not accommodating sin in our lives, but dealing ruthlessly with it. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 1, it speaks there of how sin easily entangles. That means that you brush it off, and then it's a bit like bindweed. If it's just left in the garden, it quickly grows again, and it wraps itself around whatever it can find. Sin is like that. We can think that we've dealt with it, we've cut it out, Yes, right, I'm in a position of strength, and I'm continuing to walk in my relationship with Jesus. I'm doing well. And we find, oh, but it's, it's easily entangling, actually. It's, um, it's a bit more just, just there. Well, it's, it's, only, it's only there a little bit, so I'll, I'll be fine. I can, I can live with that amount of, of, of sin. It's, it's not much. Oh, and then I look around again, and it, it's, it's come right further up. I'm, I'm more entangled and restricted than I was before. Sin easily entangles. And so that's why if God ever comes and he specifically highlights in our lives some area of compromise, some area of sin, we need to be doubly sure, triply sure, we've really run it through. We've really cut it out. We've really demolished it. And you might have spotted that in the last couple of weeks, if you've been here um, before today, it just so happens in the messages that both Mark and I have been preaching, there's been this theme of addressing compromise, purity for God's people really matters, dealing with sin. And there have been occasions when we've, um, when we've responded and we've come to the front and, and some people have, have responded in that way because, right, I, right, I, I want to nail this today. And, uh, the bride has made herself ready. That's partly what it means for us as God's people to prepare ourselves, get ready. We've got this glorious future to look forward to. In the here and now, then, there are some things for us to be really deliberate about. Planning a wedding takes a lot of deliberate decisions and actions. Well, we're planning for a great and glorious day. Let's be ruthless, then, with the sin that so easily entangles. It, it, uh, we need to take deliberate action in our lives. And uh, we see that in any number of places. One of the places is uh, Ephesians in chapter 4. A wonderful description of the gospel. And then it kind of arrives at some implications and things that we're going to do in the light of it. And so in Ephesians 4 and verse um, uh, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, um, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So for us, again, Paul there, the Apostle Paul, is giving another <clears throat> strong encouragement. Because of all that God has done, because of this wonderful gospel, because of your destiny in the future, there are some things to very deliberately put off. We are being addressed. We are being told, prepare, put that off, take it off, get rid of it. Deliberate action. 
It's intriguing that, that that's not just a, a negative action of putting certain things on, uh, putting certain things off, rather. But Paul is also saying, and put new things on, new attitudes. So, you know, that attitude, um, selfishness, or whatever it might be, well, that belongs to your old self. Now put on your new self. We are called as the bride of Christ to be growing in practical, lived out holiness. Jesus is coming back for his pride. And he's coming back for a pure bride. A bride who only has affection for him. Imagine what it would be like to be at a wedding and the theme tune to Anna Green Gables starts, because obviously that's the only song that any self-respecting bride could walk in to. Um, Doors open. Whatever the song is, the bride comes in. And she's She's wearing a dress, but maybe just general appearance. Really, really tatty. And uh, it's just kind of like dashed in the building. No, no preparation, really. Not much, much, not much thought gone into it. Just, right, oh, I'm here. This will do. And then she, she walks down the aisle. And her groom is stood at the front. And the doors have opened, so he's turned around, he's done that. And then she's coming down the aisle, and she's not looking at him. She's coming down the aisle, and she's got her phone number on little bits of card. And she's she's sussing out all the guests. And so she's handing her phone number to other guys in the congregation. She arrives at the front. Takes chewing gum out. Stick that behind the ear for later. Right. Well, I'm here. Let's get on with it. That would be what it could be like if a bride hasn't really understood what's about to happen. And we are going to have this great and awesome heavenly banquet. And it's exciting. It's something to look forward to. It's something to prepare for. And so to, to throw off, run through and destroy sin in our lives that is just seeking any and every opportunity to pollute, to entangle, to, uh, to ruin what God has in store. So, yeah, perhaps now it's just a time in the life of the church where God is putting the spotlight on, on issues of purity and saying, come on. Just deliberate action is called for in this. I referred earlier on to how on other occasions people may have have, have come to the front as as a way of showing God, uh, responding to a message and saying, yeah, I'm responding. I'm I'm wanting to totally draw a line. This particular issue that maybe has been seeking to pollute my own heart, um, I'm just acknowledging it. I'm repenting of it. I'm turning away from it. I want nothing more to do with it. What can follow sometimes decisions like that is a disappointment that the issue itself is still around. In other words, we've responded, we've been prayed for even, or we've, we've come before God, and whether we've articulated it to ourselves or not, we can sometimes have the expectation, because I came to the front, because I responded, because I repented, because I sought to draw the line, God's heard that, he's forgiven me, and now I will never know temptation in that area of my life ever again.
And then disappointment comes when we realize, oh, I've still got to fight this battle. I've still got to take some deliberate action in my life. And, uh, and perhaps for some, if that's here, you can just have that sense of disappointment. Yet God's put his finger on something, and I still feel like I'm having to... It's still an issue. It's still kind of in my face. And, um, well, be assured, God is at work. Be assured, God forgives. Know that as soon as you step towards him, like that prodigal son, and say, I've really messed it up, God. And when we confess our sin to him, the word say, uh, the Bible says that he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those things that stain us, he comes and he removes those stains. That's what God is like. That's what his gospel is like. And it's a matter of faithfulness and justice. God will do it when we respond to him in that way. But let us also make sure that we are throwing off sin. Not casually allowing it to keep a hold. But maybe there are some very deliberate things, very deliberate steps we need to do. Think, okay, I'm, I, I know that's been an issue and therefore I'm gonna help myself, I wanna help myself to, to turn away from it any time that temptation might gently kind of tap at my door as it were. So what has the bride been doing? She has been making herself ready. But, question arises. Well, is that all that this Christian malarkey is about? Is that, is that the message? Is that, is that it? Is that all there is to say? There's going to be this great day, so you better get yourselves ready, you filthy lot. Is that, is that the message? Sort yourselves out, and then, if you've managed to heave yourself up to an appropriate standard in your life, then and only then, and hopefully then, but we're not quite sure then, then God will just size you up for a bit and think, yeah, okay, in you come. That's all right. I accept you. That's fine. Um, is that the Christian message? Thankfully not. However, at the age of 10... That's precisely what I thought being a Christian was all about. And I, uh, I've been reflecting on my own personal testimony this week. And uh, I was saved when I was 10. The initial problem when I was 10 is that I already thought I was a Christian. Because, I, you see, I'd, I'd grown up in a Christian household. I'd gone to church. Occasionally, I would... I understood that it might be a good thing if I read my Bible, and rarely I understood that it might be an appropriate thing. It was kind of the done thing to uh, to pray, and so I understood following Jesus and being Christian to be all about what I did. Well, I had always been in a Christian family. I had always as long as I could remember, gone along to church and youth group or whatever, um, I'd probably always had a Bible, whether I chose to look at it or not. And so I always thought, I've always been a Christian. And I was already, therefore, at the age of 10, a self-righteous hypocrite. (laughs) 
I really was. Um, because I thought, I've got no problem. Um, uh, and I'm sure there are occasions where I, re- I, I was aware I was no shining example. But I just kind of thought, no, I'm, I'm in. I, I tick the right boxes. And I have just about ticked them as often as I need to, to consider myself safe. I'm okay. Me and God, I think, we're just, we're we're doing alright. Thank God, therefore, that at the age of 10, someone else who was about the age of 10 said to me, you're not a Christian. Because I just said, I've always been one. He said, no you're not. And that shocked me into trying to discover what one actually was if I wasn't one already. And, um, and I got to understand a little bit more. You see, being a Christian is not mainly or even primarily about what we do. Now, the bride is making herself ready. Oh yeah, there's definite action taking place. But we need to see something else if we're really going to understand why this big heavenly multitude can't stop saying the word hallelujah. They are really rejoicing. I don't think they would really be rejoicing if what they thought was, yeah, just about we have got ourselves ready and, uh, and he's just about let us in to his heavenly kingdom. So as well as seeing what the bride has been doing, we need to have a look now at what the bride has been given. Let us rejoice, verse 7, and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready... Verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. She is provided with clothing that she would otherwise not have had and not have been able to provide for herself. Now, who are we talking about here again? Just remind ourselves, we're talking about all of God's people throughout time. The bride of Christ. She has been making herself ready, but she has been given fine linen, bright and clean. She couldn't provide it for herself. What does that symbolize? You'll see in in brackets probably, uh, it also says fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. That can almost make it sound like what's in focus here is still what we do. Our righteous acts. In other words, we need to do a whole load of righteous, good, and holy things in order to become acceptable to God. But that isn't what it's saying. Again, it's putting a spotlight on what has been given. These are clothes. A kind of a rightness with God has been given to her, and she is clothed in those fine, bright, and clean garments of linen. The bride, in other words, she needed cleaning up. She was not spotless or radiant when the groom first laid eyes on her. It's more like a king seeking for himself a bride. And for reasons known to himself, he decides not to just mix with um, fine well-dressed, wealthy, well-heeled women, possibly a little bit more in love with themselves than anybody else. 
he, his eye is caught by a peasant girl. And if you read the Song of Solomon, there's a description of a romance which looks a lot like that. There's a king, and his affections are for a Shulamite girl, a peasant girl. She said, you know, it's like, I, I'm, there might be times where, in my paraphrase at least, she's kind of saying, I was nothing special. Um, I have to go out and work in the fields. Um, I, I wasn't one of these fine, upper-class, very cultured ladies. But for some reason, he, he put his affection on me. And that's exactly what the king of heaven has done. He's seen his bride. And to begin with, she was not spotless. She was stained. She wasn't by herself tremendously righteous. She wasn't wonderfully good or holy. But God provided. God gives. And so in the same way that the, the, the bride here is given fine linen, bright and clean to wear, we, God's people, have been given a right standing before God. We have been, we've been made pure. We've been made holy. Uh, in his eyes, we have been made spotless. We have been made uh, beautiful. This wasn't, it, wasn't what, it wasn't who we were to start with. It's not what we managed to achieve ourselves. It's what he's done. It's what he's given. And that reminds us again that for us, there's no way for any one of us individually that we could ever make ourselves acceptable to God. We could never make ourselves pure. We could never make ourselves achieve a standard of absolute holiness. Even if from this point onwards we we managed to to kind of avoid getting any more stains on our clothes. There'd be yesterday's stains still there, and they would need dealing with. And the chances are before too much longer, there would be other stains that would come in the course of time as well. We would never achieve that for ourselves. And so right now, seeking to live a life that is holy doesn't actually achieve God's favour. We don't get God's favour. God doesn't look upon us um, with more love, the more holy we become. What this shows us is that God already sees his people as holy. The bride has already been given those garments to wear. She was, she was chosen, she plucked out of complete obscurity. Christ set his affection on us. We can see that in a number of places uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. We'll just turn to uh, maybe one or two. So, for example, we see right at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Again, this wonderful declaration of praise, really. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see that there? Before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, 
we were chosen by him, chosen to be his. That choice was full of love. Out of love, he decided, I want her. Or if you like, I want him. I want to draw, I want to draw you into this wonderful eternity that I've got planned for my bride. Won't you be a part of it? I have chosen you and therefore I'm providing you with the clothes that are going to fit the occasion. Well, how has Jesus done that? How do we get clothed in righteousness? How is it that God can make us spotless in his sight like that? How is it that um, our, all our sin and all our stains can be totally uh, done away with and washed clean? Well, in another passage in the same book in Ephesians, later on in chapter 5, in a passage which is actually addressed um, to, uh, to husbands and wives, it says there in Ephesians 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and um, with water through the word. Christ has loved us by giving himself up for us. That's why, as we look back in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, it's described as the wedding of the Lamb. Why is Jesus described as a lamb? Well, because lambs were used to sacrifice. What did Jesus allow to happen to himself but to be sacrificed, to, uh, as someone prayed out earlier on, to be lifted up on the cross? Why did that have to happen? Well, he was taking upon himself all of our stains, all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, everything that we have ever done that displeases God, past, even present, and future, it was all dealt with there if we have received it. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Here's the Lamb. And he said, I, I've chosen you. I've chosen you to come and join with me in a party that the like of has never been seen on earth. I want you to be a part of that heavenly, eternal celebration. I've chosen you. And my choice required me also to come and lay down my own life. Being in very nature God, Jesus came. And what did he do? As Neil was reminding us earlier on, in the very nature God he came, he took on the, on the form of a, of a man and he became a servant. And then what did he do? How did he serve us? He served us by giving up his life. For us, How many people do you know who would give up their life for you, literally? Would you give your life up for someone special and close to you? The Bible says that God himself, Christ, gave his life up at the point in which we weren't his friends, but we were his enemies. He gave his life up for us that we might have this relationship. This is the most important thing for all of us to understand. This was the most important thing for me to understand 
when I was 10, and actually I thought I was okay. This is the most important thing for you to understand if you are 10. And actually, you've probably been coming to church meetings like this since you can remember. Your parents gave you a Bible um, probably before you were born. Um, you know what it is to, to talk about, think about, even pray to Jesus. But have you understood this? Have you really understood it? Is the Christian life just a matter of the things that I do? I come to the Jubilee Center on a Sunday morning. I, I go to my fusion core group. Uh, we pray and thank God before we have a meal. Um, I try and be a good person. If it stays at that what faith you have is heading towards dead, dull, boring, lifeless, destroying religion. And what you need to hear is that, and what we all need to hear, whoever we are, however old we are, and whatever life has involved up until this point, whether you feel you can pat yourself on the back and say, I'm doing quite well in life, or whether actually you come to this point and you think, oh, you know what, I just feel like, goodness me, um, I just feel like that prodigal son. I've kind of come to my senses, and I just feel rubbish because how I've chosen to live my life. What we all need to understand is yes, the bride needs to get herself ready. But pride needs to understand and see and appreciate what she has been given. Traditional wedding vows contain this line. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Traditional vows. The wedding supper of the Lamb. In the gospel... What does Jesus say to us? I believe he says the same. All that I am, I give to you. I give to you my righteousness. I give to you my purity. I give to you my holiness. You don't have it for yourself. You never achieved it for yourself. And so I'm giving it to you for yourself. You can wear it. Go on. Put it on. Enjoy what I'm giving you. I have a right standing. I have a relationship with the Father and I share that with you. I have amazing love and tremendous compassion for you and the whole world. I'm sharing that with you. I'm giving that to you. Do you know that? Have you received that? Have you confessed that? Yeah, this is true. And actually now, I'm, I'm giving myself. I have received his love. I have received his forgiveness. I have received um, his commitment. The groom has committed himself to the bride. And now, actually, knowing and seeing how passionate he is for us, we, in, in love and joy and commitment, we give ourselves to him. That might lead to another question. What about all that holy stuff, be holy, that you were saying at the outset? You know, the bride was getting herself ready, but why bother if actually 
She's going to, she's, she's received those clothes. She's going to be welcomed into glory and have eternity with, um, Jesus. If he loves me anyway, why put any effort into trying to be holy and trying to live right? Uh, well, it's again, it's important that we face that question and understand it, um, in the right way. We're just going to look at one further scripture at this point that might help us, which is in the book of Titus. I might have referred to it briefly in passing on a previous week, and if I can find it myself, we're going to look at it again. Uh, Titus chapter 2, and uh, verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. If we really understand the wonderful grace of God, actually, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So I was once having a conversation uh, with a couple who are not in this church. They were describing some some moral issue, some uh, some issue maybe that cropped up in the context of a youth group or something like that. And they said, we really had to lay down the law. It's a Christian, Christian couple. In order to encourage these young people, whoever they were, to live a holy life, they used that phrase... We really had to lay down the law to them and just say, you don't do that. That's not what Christians do. That's wrong. And I thought, is that biblical? I think Titus 2 here is saying us, no, we don't lay down the law in that sense. What we're doing is laying down grace. Because if we're giving ourselves to other desires, other affections, compromising behavior one way or another we probably know loud and clear if we're honest that it's not right or it's not good actually what we need to be reminded of is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness when we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross when we see or catch a glimpse of just how great his love is, that meant he was prepared to go to the cross. When we appreciate how passionate he is for us, even though we've not led a spotless life, I think that does something. I think it doesn't motivate out of guilt. It's not about trying to, to pay, uh, pay God back. I'm going, to, I'm going to try and earn your acceptance, God. I'm, I'm so sorry for how I've, I've lived, and I know I'm in your bad books, and um, you know, I, I don't expect now to be welcomed into the household. Just make me like one of your servants, in fact. Just give me a little bit of food, and uh, I'll serve you. Um, but I, I know that you won't really love me, but maybe after a long time, maybe if I've served you for really well for 20 years without sinning at all, Maybe then I know, I know perhaps at that point in time, you might kind of put your arm around me 
that a relationship might be restored. I understand, oh God, it's going to take such a lot of time for you to ever really forgive me. But Lord, here I am, that prodigal returning again. And when we come to God in that way, again, as Sarah was reminding us from that scripture, what's the father's response? He runs. He says, you're back. This is wonderful news. And we're going to have a party and we're going to have, we're going to celebrate. It's the grace of God that then teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Why would I go back to all of that stuff? Why would I give myself to that? When I get to enjoy a relationship right here and now with God. I tasted the world. I know it's poison. I know what he has is a wonderful banquet. So yes, I'm fleeing from unrighteousness. I'm, I'm running away from every evil desire that might seek to pollute me. Yeah, I'm putting things in place. I'm taking deliberate action. I'm doing everything that's necessary for me to to help myself to walk a holy life. But at the same time, I'm eagerly pursuing. I'm not just running away. I'm actually running to and enjoying a relationship with a God who is crazily in love with his bride. It's the logical conclusion. Yet we're not trying to pay God back or earn his favor. We're understanding we are the bride of Christ. We have been chosen by him. He does love us. And he will return for us to take us to an eternity that's absolutely glorious. For a couple who are engaged... It's wonderful. Sometimes there's a bit, there can be some awkwardness to it as well. There's kind of like the now and the not yet. Now, a couple who are engaged have expressed personally and privately a commitment to one another. Now already they are in love. And, uh, in the Old Testament times, it would be more a case of betrothal. So actually, betrothal was a more concrete promise than engagement is. We will get married. That was, what was, that was the situation that Mary and Joseph were in. They were promised to marry each other. And, uh, but their wedding was to come. The bride of Christ. We exist now in that slight, excited, but odd stage. There's the now and there's the not yet. That's now we're in a relationship with Jesus. Right now we know his grace. Right now his forgiveness has come into our life. Right now, even in a mysterious way that we can't comprehend, we're already seated with him in glory. But we're not, there's a lot of stuff that's not yet. We've got all of that not yet uh, to look forward to. In the here and now, there's still those preparations to make. Yet, walking and living a holy life. Right now, in God's eyes, We are holy. We're spotless. But also right now, we sometimes get stained. We sometimes sin, slip up, and need to come to him in repentance. There can be that odd odd tension, but a good tension if it leads us in the right direction. So, weddings, marriages on this earth are a tiny hint of what the wedding supper 
of the Lamb might be like. Now, you may be married, you may not be. You may have glorious experience of marriage and weddings, you may not have. The point is that God didn't look at marriage and then think, oh, that gives me an idea. I might try and incorporate that somehow into heaven. What God did is think, right, this is how it's going to end. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be a wedding feast. The Lamb, my son, Jesus Christ, will be united in joyful, wonderful celebration and intimacy for all time with his people, the bride. That's what's going to happen. Now, I'm just going to give them a few hints, actually. I'm going to draw that back. Right, when I create the world, I'm going to create this thing called marriage. So whether you're married or not is not the point today. Because there is a better, more glorious and heavenly marriage to be utterly uh, preoccupied with. The ten-year-old me didn't understand it. Um, And today could be an invitation for others. Maybe you have not seen the Christian faith, being a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've not seen it in this way before. Maybe you have just seen it as a matter of what you do. Just If you can hit the standard, God will welcome you in. Maybe that's how you've seen it up until this point. Well, what I hope is today, for the first time, you've seen it differently. And today, an invitation goes out. This This passage kind of concludes with it. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You are invited to come and be a part of this joyful assembly in the future. You're invited to be part of God's people in the here and now. The invitation is open. It's unrestricted. Are you going to accept it? Are you going to receive it? Are you going to get the benefit of all the blessing that God has for you? Maybe you have already seen it. Maybe you have already responded. Don't be shy of rejoicing. And don't be shy of the word hallelujah. Perfectly appropriate that we use that word and many other words to worship our wonderful God. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, that great multitude say. Let's do the same. Let's take deliberate steps where we need to, to throw off sin. And let's allow God to rekindle and fan into flame our rejoicing, our celebration, our worship. Let's just allow, maybe sometimes we can just lose sight a little bit of who we are and who God is. Well, let's allow our eyes to be opened afresh to it today as we worship God together. Amen.